to the Creative Process Podcast, a discussion with artists about what goes on behind the scenes when they're creating their work. I'm your host, Dave Hopper. On this episode, I speak with Keith Yarling. Keith is an artist based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His most recent photographic work investigates the ways in which notions of freedom and independence have been implemented, altered, and at times rejected in the contemporary American landscape. He was selected as one of PDN's 30 new and emerging photographers to watch for 2015. He is currently working on a project on an army base in southwest Oklahoma, which we'll hear more about later in this episode. Keith Yarling, thank you for joining me on the Creative Process Podcast. Thanks, Dave. So you were recommended by Hannah Price, who was on our 10th episode. And how do you know Hannah? Um, I will say, like so many people, I think I just know Hannah just from from being in Philadelphia. <laughs> I think the first time I was introduced to her work was when she uh, was in a group show at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Th- that was probably, if I had to guess, probably 2010, I would say. Um, and we both left Philly for grad school. Um, I went to RISD, Hannah went to Yale. Um, and then we both came back to Philly. Philly sort of has that, that pool for people so we, we see each other pretty regularly. She's a good friend. So you were born in Camden, which is nearby. So that area is, is kind of home to you. But I know I grew up in Jersey as well on the shore. And uh-huh. Philadelphia is kind of like a different world, even though it's just across the river, right? It really is. I mean, growing up, I <laughs> uh, growing up, I thought Philadelphia was its own state. I mean, yeah, it, I did the same really, thing. <laughs> it it really felt like this must be this a New Jersey place. Thing. Yeah, it definitely must be. And, and the suburbs, I mean, on the western side of the city of Philadelphia, the suburbs uh, sort of, they expand slowly outward. Mm-hmm. Um, on the New Jersey side, as you're well aware, you know, the Delaware River basically just, you know, uh, stops the city um, yeah. sort of directly in its path. Um, and then the suburbs in New Jersey automatically start. So, um, and I, I literally grew up, um, I was born in Camden, but I grew up in a small town called National Park, New Jersey. Huh. Um, Never heard of it. It's literally, if you were at the Philadelphia airport and you could uh, and you could walk across the river, yeah. you'd be um, where I grew up. And so it, it felt very separate. And, um, I, you know, my first time going into the city was probably 12, 13 years old, taking the bus uh, to go exploring. It was just, it had that pull. And it's kind of kept you there since then, because it wasn't just something that you had to go explore and you scratch the itch and you're done. It's something that you want to keep exploring. Yeah, I I mean, uh, you mean exploring in general, not just Philadelphia. Uh, I was going to say Philadelphia, but we can go in general, because a lot of your work is about exploring places Mm -hmm. far and wide, not just Philadelphia, but... You kind of go all over mm-hmm. the place. So I'll ask my first question, which is always, where does your sure. creative process start? Where does your creative process begin? So, yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I think my creative process is sort of born in literature and I think in uh, the works primarily of uh, other writers. I you know, I, I have always had this urge of exploration um, since I was a kid. So uh, I've always been drawn to, you know, writers that are exploring this sort of 
uh, American mythology mm-hmm. um, and a sort of American experience. Steinbeck, Flannery O'Connor, even up to not necessarily a writer, but I mean, I mean, I guess you would call him a writer, a poet. You know, Woody Guthrie, Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. Um, so these sort of, I guess, true and tried sort of American authors, explorers, um, their their experience is sort of at once, uh, you know, fodder for their art, but then it's also um, it plays sort of both worlds. It is sort of who they are, but it is also their practice. And so for me, um, my creative process sort of um, is about digesting those authors and trying to understand the world through their eyes and then trying to find a similar path of my own. I mean, um, I sort of work from a place of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, So oftentimes there'll be maybe a small landmark or a small important um, historical uh, moment that happened in a small town or, you know, what have you to, to draw me to a certain place. And many times uh, I just have that desire to go there, not knowing when we're going to find when I arrive. So I do really enjoy this there's this gap that sort of um, that exists between knowing maybe what happened at a place mm-hmm. and then not fully knowing what that place looks like now. Yeah. Um, and then trying to make a photograph of it um, is, is really uh, fascinating to me. So when you're reading these writers work, are you seeing photographs in your head? Not in my, I wouldn't say I see photographs in my head. I, I actually have a very, I actually don't, uh, I don't do that very well. I mean, there are some photographers that can sort of like visualize photographs beforehand. Mm-hmm. I would say I work on a more sort of emotional spectrum. Um, and I sort of want to get after photographs that have a certain sort of feeling or emotion to them. So I'm usually reading those authors for that sort of emotional tenor. I'm also interested in sort of people's uh, interactions. I mean, one of the reasons Walker Evans is an important figure for me, and probably now I've read Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, which James Agee and Walker Evans, you know, they spent a couple months uh, in the Depression era south um, at a few different sharecroppers' homes. It's sort of, in some ways, an autobiographical novel for Agee, um, but that work fascinates me so much because you see the interactions between Evans, the photographer and AG, the writer with the people they're staying with. Um, Mm -hmm. And I sort of look to that to try and understand how I can interact with individuals when I'm not on the road, um, when I'm experiencing, when I'm experiencing someone's life that is maybe so different from mine. Um, How do I comprehend that? How do I make work of that? And that's a big part of exploring and being in far-flung places. You get more of a an easy feeling for a place if you interact with the people who live there rather than just going in, snapping a few pictures, and taking off. Yeah. I mean, it can be a very hard thing to do. And I will say, in, in some instances, you know, I just don't have the time to really stay mm-hmm. as long as I would like in a place. Um, but other times when I can, yeah, I, I do really like to try and find at least one maybe significant connection with a person. Granted, I mean, 
that finally gives me the full, you know, the full story of any place. Right. Um, but for me, it just provides a little more grounding. Are you sad that there's no more exploring to do really in the U.S.? <laughs> you feel like you were born <laughs> in the wrong time? I, you know, I, I sort of do. I mean, it's just so different now. I mean, so many things are so different now, obviously. And in some ways, I feel now it's more important than ever to really get out and explore beyond our own individual bubbles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't need to jump into political <laughs> stuff, but I just feel like a lot of the reason there's so much disjuncture happening right now is just because, <clears throat> you know, we don't know what three hours away from where we live looks like. We don't know what, say, the middle of the country looks like. Um, I think there's a tendency to want to go to travel to places naturally, you know, that, that are sort of majestic and otherworldly. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's just as important of a story to be told in the sort of everydayness of places and um, maybe places that are considered like a quote-unquote flyover country. Your style and your work sort of lends itself to that type of exploring and those types of places, I would say. Yeah, I mean, my the way that I, I work, I mean, you know, to talk technically speaking, the way that I work is with a large format camera. It's a very sort of methodical process. It's a big 4 by 5 inch uh, view camera on top of a tripod. Um, so if I'm taking a picture of someone, you know, they're aware of my presence. Yeah. Um, it's not a matter of hopping out of the car. <laughs> You're not taking, spraying taking and praying, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, the process itself does definitely lend to, you know, slowing things down. Let's talk about your project um, for the revolution. Can you explain what this is and tell us how it started? Yeah, so for the revolution is uh, an exploration of the space of the original 13 colonies. So from Maine to Georgia and the Appalachian Mountains to the Atlantic. Um, And it's at once a sort of exploration of, you know, these contemporary ideals, these contemporary notions of uh, freedom, of liberty, um, and how those those very sort of grand ideals are enacted on an everyday basis. Um, so I sort of talk about them through, you know, shown through the actions of people engaged in everyday activities, you know, how are those larger ideals sort of distilled into the everyday. And the, the project developed while I was in grad school, and um, I, I mean, I have a tendency to really try and do more than I'm capable of, to sort of bite <laughs> off more than I can chew. And I was planning my uh, my travels uh, the summer in between my first and second year of, of grad school. And I thought, you know, I've, I've never driven cross country yet. It'd be good to just cross that off the bucket. Mm-hmm. And as I started to think more and more what that would look like, I thought, this just isn't going to work. This is just too much. You know, mm-hmm. I need to I need to hone in my practice. So I essentially, not that focusing on an area, you know, from Maine to Georgia is any less of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the way I work is I, I essentially, uh, I probably took, I don't even know at this point, a dozen or so, roughly two, two and a half week long trips where I would sort of wow. explore a particular region. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, more or less how I you know, was able to work through that entire space. How did you pick 
the spots that you went to, did you, they found ser- was it serendipitously, or did you plan sort of most of them out beforehand? Yeah, so a little bit of both. I'm also a little bit of an over-planner of sorts. <laughs> um, but one thing I felt that was important to sort of link this, to try and sort of reach through time with this project was I um, researched locations where battles happened during the revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, say when I was you know, traveling through Georgia, um, I actually had this really great uh, encyclopedia of all the battlefields or all the battles of the revolution. Mm-hmm. And so I would map those locations out first and then I would essentially sort of fill in the rest. So in some instances, I might visit a battlefield, and then I would travel through whatever small towns uh, were in the location, you know, make pictures at the battlefield, and then make pictures um, as I was moving through the rest of the area. And then it would sort of just repeat like that. In some areas, there isn't, there isn't a lot of revolutionary history, so it would just be a matter of where I'm staying one night and mm-hmm. then where I'm staying to the next and then filling in the rest. Uh, but I would give myself a sort of loose itinerary so I would know that I would at least be traveling in a in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> How many photos did you make when you got to a place? It, you know, often, sometimes just one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I wouldn't make any. I mean, it's it's really interesting you know, sometimes I would, I would, I was just talking about Georgia and Georgia and South Carolina. Um, so much of that history is wrapped up with the Civil War. So a lot of the, you know, the markers and identifiers for the Revolutionary War, they just aren't that concrete. They really don't exist. Some mm-hmm. are small placards. Some are just a stone, you know, far, far down a dirt road. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I would drive half an hour down this dirt road and I would get to this place and it would be just utter silence and maybe just trees. So sometimes there just wouldn't be a picture. I would maybe spend a half hour, 40 minutes sort of contemplating, you know, the place. And then sometimes just because I essentially traveled, you know, I'll I'll be a thousand miles. I will just make a picture just because that's the sort of only thing left to do. But yeah. taking it, not knowing that, it probably won't work for the project. So it's it's often a very weird weird and sort of strange thing that I, you know, put myself through. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's tough to go that far and not make a picture, even if it's not going to be in the project. It's tough to go there and then just kind of walk away empty-handed. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is. And it's, and, and that, I mean... In, with so much of this, that is the, the sort of gamble, you know, uh, you're, you're sort of, you look at this place on a map and you have no idea what's there. And, yeah. um, in other, in other opposite ways, I mean, it's more often than not, it's just such a treat what you, what you find there. I mean, um, there's a battlefield I'm sort of stuck on Georgia, but, um, <laughs> there was one that was just along the banks of this tributary of the Savannah, this lush, lush, you know, gorgeous landscape. And I came through late on a Sunday and there were, you know, four families like picnicking on the on the banks of the river and sort of swimming through it. And so all of a sudden there's this like, you know, the history of this place is now so just wound up uh, in such an interesting way with uh, 
the contemporary landscape and, and people living and, and using that space now. So, and that's, I sort of say, you know, when I, when I tell people how I travel, they're like, oh, like, you know, do you go by yourself? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's not necessarily something my my wife would want to endure. <laughs> and, you know, it is, it's when it's good, it's great. It's amazing. And when it's, when it's not, it's just, it's as bad as it can be. You know, it's, it's the full sort of spectrum of things. Yeah. Um, it's just this sort of emotional roller coaster. Do you think you're finished with this project or is there something you're still working on? Um, I think, I mean, I sort of reached a point where it, it became, it became harder and harder to make new pictures. I felt like I was repeating myself Mm -hmm. a lot. That was probably, I guess the last trip that I took for this project for, for the revolution was in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've, I feel like I, I am done photographing for the project, um, but I don't necessarily feel like it is complete in terms of an exact final edit. I mean, my goal was and still is, um, you know, is to sort of finalize it as a published book. But, um, you know, that's a whole other story to talk about, I suppose. <laughs> so that is sort a of different in process. limbo in this edit. What's that? It's a, that is a different process is putting it together for a book than like yes. just for an edit for a website. Exactly. So it's, I mean, I've sort of come to the conclusion that uh, I can, it will show in group shows here and there. And if something does come up with a book, great. If <laughs> not, there are other things to keep moving forward on. And speaking of that, you're working now on a project at was it Fort Sill in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, I guess in 2015, I sort of realized, okay, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, shooting for, for the revolution anymore. Mm -hmm. What am I going to be doing in 2016? Um, and I think it was probably in, I guess it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas. I was, um, at my folks house in New Jersey and, uh, you know, my parents are such, particularly my dad is just, he's got so much stuff. He's just such a pack rat. <laughs> and so it's like sort of whenever I go over there, I find something new and I was in the garage. Um, he's a carpenter. And so he's just got like three tools of, of everything. <laughs> and I found this box on this top shelf and it was, um, you know, this like crumbling cardboard box uh, with all these letters. And there were all the letters that he wrote, um, mostly to his mom, but some to his father and uh, his siblings um, while he was in the Army. He was uh, drafted uh, into Vietnam in uh, the late 60s. And I found probably, you know, there, I found probably a dozen or so letters uh, that he wrote when he was stationed at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He was in Oklahoma to do his... Um, artillery training so mm-hmm. you know um, that base is known for training uh, cannoneers in the army it's called uh, AIT mm-hmm. um, it's essentially the training you do uh, after basic um, and so the letters that he had wrote you know it was he was 19 years old it was literally the first time he was on a plane it was the first time he had left National Park um, and he was in this expansive midwestern landscape uh 
you know, learning how to fire these gigantic artillery weapons. And, you know, to go back to that sort of my, you know, interest and sort of just curiosity and and what a place is like, I was just sort of struck by his description of the landscape and um, just thought, wow, you know, how, how sort of amazing would it be to just go out there and see what that place is like? But then also to sort of, in some way, stand in the same landscape my father did when he was 19 years old and and to to view, um, you know, the same mountain ranges and, you know, the same uh, pieces of equipment he trained on. So last year I spent about five or six weeks out there and yeah that's that's where I'll be that's where I'll be uh starting next week for two and a half weeks and then back again in August so were they um, okay with uh your project yeah it's, it's actually I mean it's it's a, it's a sort of very different way of working for me <laughs> um so you can anyone can just get a uh, a pass to go on base okay um there are restrictions of photographing on base I actually started shooting um with a smaller format camera mm-hmm. um so I can sort of photograph in a little bit more of like a, not secretive, but without a tripod. But then I also uh, have been in touch with, they have a public affairs office who deals with, as I'm sure you're well aware, you know, media <laughs> requests. Yeah. Um, and they were a little sort of, they didn't quite know what to make of my request because they're <laughs> like, well, you're not working for anybody. Like, why do you want to do this? And, <laughs> um, a lot of people have that reaction to personal projects when they're, so you don't have a magazine that's backing you up or anything? Well, no, yeah, no, kind of doing yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. But I mean, after after some back and forth and after a trip out there, I was not really getting access that I wanted. In August, everything sort of broke through, and I was able to go out, you know, with uh, with units. You know, they call it they go out to the range, and I was able to, you know, be feet within these huge artillery weapons as they're firing five rounds you know they gave me a helmet my kevlar vest and i was able to photograph with my four by five camera um them training and make portraits um and so it's like i'm still sort of shocked that I'm, i'm able to sort of see these things i mean it's not that they're doing top secret things they're just training but it to me, it's just that curiosity. It just seems like such an otherworldly thing. Um, I'm just so fascinated by it. Is this the closest you want to be to being a war photographer? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> My father joked. He was like, you know, he has some some of his friends' uh, kids were stationed at Fort Sill, and he was trying to help me with access. And he goes, you know, I bet you uh, if you enlist it, you know, you could probably become a f- photographer. And I'm like, <laughs> well, hold on, like. <laughs> you got to go through like boot camp. You can't just like start out as a photographer. Like you're in yeah. the army. Like, no, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's tough stuff. Yeah. So you're going to be working on that. Do you know of like an end date for when it'll be complete? Or are you just going to go until you feel like it's done? Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, that's, that's sort of my mantra with the things. I mean, I think after uh, the two trips out there this year, I will, really have sort of honed in on what exactly I'm looking for and um, obviously gotten much more material. Mm-hmm. But I think at a minimum, I'll probably have to go back out at least through 2018 um, to, to really um, figure that out.
figure this project out because I want it to be, you know, I want it to not just be a sort of contemporary look at the army base, but mm-hmm. I want it to be somehow reflective of my father's experience as well as my sort of journey there. So um, I'm sort of, I, I always do this, you know, ask a lot of my projects and I tend to ask a lot about, uh, you know, I sort mm-hmm. of expect a photograph to do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> so in between trips out there, are you thinking of photos you want to make? Are you seeing holes that you want to fill? Or are you just kind of thinking about things and you'll see what you find? Yeah. So, I mean, that's my, um, yeah, that's a great question because that's uh, also something I've honed in on. I mean, mm-hmm. I am not... Uh, there are photographers that can just have a camera with them and they are always photographing. Yeah. I'm not that kind of photographer. <laughs> I never have been. Um, so when I go, um, it's something I've been doing for the past couple of months in my studio is, um, after I come back from a trip, I automatically start scanning stuff and I start working on the files. Um, and then I make a set of prints of, you know, what I thought, um, was the, the best of, mm-hmm. And then it's basically just putting that up on the studio wall, getting into the studio, sitting with it, looking at everything, uh, whittling it down to an edit. And, um, you know, like you said, figuring out where the holes are, figuring out what's working, what's not working. Uh, and that that enables me to uh, move forward in a, in a certain direction um, on the next trip. Yeah. Um, so each trip is just helpful to inform uh inform the previous and yeah that's sort of my my middle time yeah so it's actually a benefit in a way having distance between the trips out there yeah actually yeah i sort of never thought of it in that way i mean yeah it definitely is i mean i as much as i say that oh i wish that i could be doing that (laughs) all the time um it probably wouldn't make that much sense i mean um it's nice to give yourself space and distance yeah. Um, from making the pictures. Yeah, you look at them a different way a day or even a couple of days later than you did when you're first getting them back and you're all excited about them. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you know, that's it sounds cliche and cheesy, but that's sort of one of the great things that I feel like about film. It's like the photographs that I thought were really amazing are just sometimes <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. And then there are, there are great discoveries with ones that I just frankly would forget about taking, so... Um, it, it is an sort of an exciting time. When this is over, do you already have a project in mind that you want to work on next, or are you just going to wait and see what comes out of this and then think about it afterwards? Oof. Yeah, I I mean, not to go on a whole separate tangent, I did work <laughs> on a sort of short-ish project um, in Pennsylvania uh, right after the election leading up to uh, the inauguration. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where that if that project has a place in the world, or if it was just sort of my way to cope with all the election stuff. Yeah. Um, but generally, I just work on a project until I feel like it's done, and then whatever lingering thoughts are left that are sort of still unanswered, mm-hmm. I usually use that as a thread to move into the next project. Um, so visually they might be very different. Um, but you know, for instance, from, from for the revolution to 
this work out in Oklahoma, I mean, um, there's a sort of, you know, there's a personal thread that does run through both those projects. Yeah. And there's, there are aspects of what I wasn't able to do with For the Revolution that I'm hoping to be able to do with the Oklahoma work. So, you know, one project sort of rolls into the next. So. Gotcha. And on that note, um, my final question is, who should I speak to next so we can roll on to the next one of these podcasts? Yeah, so I think that you should speak with Scott Alario. Uh, Scott was uh, in grad school with me. Um, he He's making amazing work about his family in, in a way that references... A lot, you know, how other photographers have sort of looked at their family, mm-hmm. but he's been making this new work um, that I think is is really sort of cementing his voice in that in that sort of lineage of photographers making pictures directly of their of their family. Great. Well, thanks for the recommendation. I'll get in touch. Yeah. No. Thanks for this. This is this is wonderful. Yeah. This is great conversation. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yep. Appreciate it. That was photographer Keith Yarling. Find his work at keithyarling.com. That's Y-A-H-R-L-I-N-G. Thank you for listening to the Creative Process Podcast, a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Theme music is Big Screen by Silent Partner. Please join me next time, and in the meantime, have fun creating.